Welcome to the Trash Cats Trash Cast. I'm Richard. I'm Steven. And today we're going to steal mana defense for torture using the Sam Harris protocols. Good old Sam Harris. My boy Sam's got a lot of heat for this take. Yeah, he got, uh, my boy got caught in the kitchen. Considering we are indeed in war times ourselves, I think it's appropriate. We, we, we visit. <laughs> <laughs> The ethics and philosophy of torture. It's a uh, you know a, a trending theme with the trash cats trash cast. We try to get away from it, but you know it's always knocking at the door. Well, it's, it's just kind of war season. Torture, you know, torture yeah. season. We got apparently <laughs> Israel, Palestine, you know, just killing each other. So you know, and we're going to war with the hard men. It's basically the same thing. <laughs> basically, <laughs> we're the terrorists in this situation. <laughs> Damn. But first, how was your week? Um, it has been very good. Um, I got nice. a bunch of cool shit done. I, I just installed a new faucet in my sink and uh, a new drain. And I put up, uh, I got some stuff ready so I can paint my um, bedroom ceiling. That's nice. I got a bunch of shit done uh, for Halloween shit. Hell yeah. It's been very productive. Feels very good. How are you? I'm okay. Just, uh... I'm not okay, but I'm fine. <laughs> Just getting some sweet tattoos, you know. You'll, you'll be here tomorrow is what you're saying. Dabbling with the little steroids here and there, you know. Just fucking up my body chemistry, getting ready for war, sharpening up my, my torture instruments. But, you know, hanging in. Just been sharpening my fingernails and my toenails. I figure that way, you know. Gross. Worst case scenario, I got to go out kicking and screaming. I used to be. The junkie that had a coke nail. <laughs> Always. Very impractical, but it is fun to scratch people. <laughs> Any honorable mentions? Uh, I got nothing. Dude, I'm very uninspired with, uh, t- to my own art a little bit lately, but creative stuff in general. I feel so bummed out with everything lately. It's just boring as fuck. Yeah. Comes in waves, but I'm just seeing a lot of... I'm seeing so much stuff I don't like. So, no honorable mentions. Dishonored to everyone. I notice I haven't had a good uh, music recommendation from you in a while. Usually, you're like one of my main sources for turning me on to new music. I, I got a couple. They're all like some rap stuff, but I'm... It's the same old problem with rap where they have a, a good song here and there, but they can't write a fucking song better than like 70% and their albums all suck. So I just, I don't know. It's like you find like little bits of things, like little, pe- like a part mm-hmm. of a piece of art, of half of a verse of a song, and you try to like get the, the, the sweet berry juice out of that, but I yeah, I don't have. I've much mostly been finding either. that too. Like I like a couple al- a couple songs on an album, and it's like I don't like Ooh. this artist, but I do have a band for you that John. It's an old band um, mm-hmm. that John turned me on to. That is as soon as I heard it, it was like this is Ricky music. Uh, it's a band called Gong. Gong. It's they're like all, they're like a cool version of Fish. Okay, <laughs> so like they're. They're almost jammy, but it's more prog rocky with jazz influence. And it's it, it they're not ballads, but they're very abstract, very psychedelic, uh just like trippy rock with actual good writing. I haven't listened to him that much myself, but John really likes them. 
And as soon as I heard it, it reminded me of things I've heard you play. All right, hell yeah. Like, you you would actually like them. I forgot about that. But yeah, all, all art sucks. Let's get back to war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to briefly set this up, my good, good friend, we're very close, oh, Sam yeah. Harris, wrote an article titled Defending Torture. Now, he wrote this during a period of time, I believe 2006, in which the U.S. was likely torturing people. And if you're familiar with anything he's done, this is very counterintuitive to most of his work. At one point, he was a bodyguard for the Dalai Lama, Mm -hmm. and he's a big meditation guy. He's a big atheist advocate, uh, very anti-theist, anti-religion, but he's always been very peaceful, very anti-violence. And for him to write a piece called Defending Torture in the years after 9-11 was a big deal. This piece was very provocative and made a big splash in the philosophy and politics world. Um, I think a lot of people have a lot of misunderstandings about what he said, and it's something that I wouldn't say haunted his career because he handled it so well, but it's something he's had to readdress quite a bit over the years. So we're going to take a look at this article by Sam Harris titled Defending Torture. June 1st, 2006. Defending Torture. Imagine that a known terrorist has planted a bomb in the heart of a nearby city. He now sits in your custody. Rather than conceal his guilt, he gloats about the forthcoming explosion and the magnitude of human suffering it will cause. Given this state of affairs, in particular, given that there is still time to prevent an imminent atrocity, it seems that subjecting this unpleasant fellow to torture may be justifiable. For those who make it their business to debate the ethics of torture, this is known as the ticking bomb case. While the most realistic version of the ticking bomb case may not persuade everyone that torture is ethically acceptable, adding further embellishments seem to awaken the Grand Inquisitor in most of us. If a conventional explosion doesn't move you, consider a nuclear bomb hidden in midtown Manhattan. If bombs seem too impersonal and evil, picture your seven-year-old daughter being slowly asphyxiated in a warehouse just five minutes away, while the man in your custody holds the keys to her release. If your daughter won't tip the scales, then add the daughters of every couple for a thousand miles. Millions of little girls have, by some perverse negligence on the part of our government, come under the control of an evil genius who now sits before you in shackles. Clearly, the consequences of one person's uncooperativeness can be made so grave and his malevolence and culpability so transparent as to stir even a self-hating moral relativist from his dogmatic slumbers. Okay, first things first, we've spoken about torture in the past uh, in regards to Abu Ghraib, 9-11, and the U.S. torture programs. I believe, as a, a general stance, we've probably been very anti-torture with a lot of asterisks. I think before we proceed too much farther, we should give our stance on torture. What do you got? I feel like it's unfortunate and I wish it were complete. I wish I could honestly say that it was completely unnecessary. Oh, no. I, I, it's hard. Waterboard I mean, Richard over here. Yeah. 
obviously there are there are the the hyperbolic circumstances like we have just laid out that you can think of where okay how how could you as a person say that you wouldn't be the one you know pulling dude's fingernails out trying to get the information on how to save your kid or something sure that being said i find it personally hard to i find it near impossible to advocate for its use on a regular basis okay like torture for information kind of thing on like a tell us where you're you know uh the rest of your team's hiding you know whatever you know stupid information <laughs> tell us where the rest of the football team's at yeah where's the party <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let, let me push. So, uh, I think most people, myself included, would largely agree that the idea of systematic torture or torture as a country's policy mm-hmm. is where it steps over a line in comparison to a personal deal. Like, somebody takes your daughter and you have a chance of getting her back. Exactly. Yeah. Using violence as leverage. But realistically, anytime a country is engaged in warfare, the violence we're already in enacting, enacting uh, surpasses torture. And mm. if a country is at war, even if we try to not have the policy, the situation itself would create that policy, that there, there would be such need for that violent leverage it would exist in one form or another. So while I largely agree with you, and my take's kind of similar, I, across the board, am anti-torture on behalf of governments and institutions. Yeah. There's no way I trust a military to use that tool appropriately all the time, or even a high percentage of the time. Yeah. And I largely am opposed to the idea of preemptive policing. I don't think we're meant to stop terrorists before they bomb the building. We're supposed to be reactive. And I know that's very counterintuitive to modern law enforcement and the surveillance culture and you know, war climate today, but I really don't understand how we've leaned so far into trying to prevent future wrongs. Mm -hmm. It just seems like we're giving up too much freedom and choice and uh, making a lot of assumptions like we're palm readers that know the future. Now, I I don't want to get super on a tangent, but I just had a thought. Because okay. we, because we've kind of had that ar- argument before of, um, you know, uh, stopping crimes before they happen. Yeah. Would you, would you concede that if they've already placed a bomb somewhere, in 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 this case of like they put a bomb somewhere and then you're trying to stop it before it happens, mm-hmm. when they put the bomb there, sure, wouldn't that be the crime? Uh, yeah, uh, sure. I mean that that. 
is a crime. They, they show the intent. <laughs> I, I'm not. A, yeah, I'm not opposed to that. But hard, I, hard take on the trash catch trash cast. Putting a bomb in a place is a crime. <laughs> but I'm not opposed, or I am opposed. Mm-hmm. Let's say we have the guy that planted it. We know he knows when it's going to go off. I don't feel comfortable with our military torturing him. Yeah, let Stephen do it. Well, that that's kind of the other part of my take is on an individual level, person to person, I'm fully okay with torture. Mm-hmm. But as soon as it's turned into policy or systems, I I don't think I don't think it's defendable anymore. Yeah, we we've we've seen that played out. Yeah, I when we. When we look at things like, I've really gone back and forth in my head of, uh, you know, the argument, did America deserve 9-11? Like, mm-hmm. do, do we deserve um, harm back to us? And it's something I'm probably always going to joke about. But clearly, j- just like we're seeing in Israel and Palestine now, cheering for murder even if you believe it's righteous is pretty dark yeah <laughs> pretty pretty not cool <laughs> and we are as, on record as being pretty cool guys so. <laughs> yeah we try to avoid cheering on real murders right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> unlike some politicians today <laughs> but i think it's okay for individuals to take what some would call the lower road, but it seems just so on the fringes when our government is being the bad guy, <laughs> when they're yeah. being the executioner in the prison systems, when they're being the torturer on the battlefield. I just really don't like it. And I think, I think, a lot of other people feel the same way. We get the, the divide on the right and the left, where the right tends to be more war hawkish, and the left tends to be like, fuck America, They're, the youth is disillusioned, and it's because we feel like America has done a lot of wrong things. And whether that's right or wrong, I think a lot of that sentiment results from not taking higher roads more often where there there's going to be no immediate benefit to not torturing people that we think has information right if anything mm-hmm. more people could die or whatever but you lose the trust of the people that fund you the people that are are joining your ranks and stuff yeah i don't, I don't know i think it there's been more harm through our torture policies than harm prevented it's fair but for me i love torture do it all the time great fun stuff (laughs) calling in a wellness check on your pets (laughs) (laughs) don't say that (laughs) sam harris continues to write i am one of the few people i know who has argued in print that torture may be an ethical necessity in our war on terror in the aftermath of Abu Ghraib, this is not a comfortable position to have publicly adopted. 
So he wrote this article after the breaking news of Abu Ghraib, after the exposure of the U.S.'s torture program. So in the time following that, he puts out this this article, which is, uh, call him right or wrong, it is uh, pretty out there or, dare, dare I say, brave stance to take. Mm-hmm. Now, we haven't got to his conclusion on the matter, so we'll see which way the wind blows. There is no question that Abu Ghraib was a travesty, and there is no question that has done our country lasting harm. Indeed, the Abu Ghraib scandal may be one of the costliest foreign policy blunders to occur in the last century. Given the degree to which it has simultaneously inflamed the Muslim world and eroded the sympathies of our democratic allies. I so fucking strongly agree with that. We're, yeah. we're giving them reasons to be martyrs and we're disillusioning people to trust us. While we hold the moral high ground in our war on terror, we appear to hold it less and less. Our casual abuse of ordinary prisoners is largely responsible for this. Documented abuses at Abu Ghraib, Guantanamo Bay, and elsewhere have now inspired legislation prohibiting, quote, cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment of military prisoners. And yet, these developments do not shed much light on the ethics of torturing people like Osama bin Laden when we get them in our custody. I will now present an argument for the use of torture in rare circumstances. Okay. <laughs> Don't say that like I'm saying it. Do you present your waterboard Ricky protocol. <laughs> <laughs> While many people have objected on emotional grounds to my defense of torture. <laughs> oh my God. Episode 149, waterboard Ricky. <laughs> Taking the Taliban down all by himself. While many people have objected on emotional grounds to my defense of torture, no one has pointed out a flaw in my argument, as I would be much happier standing side by side with all the good people who oppose torture categorically. I invite any reader who discovers a problem with my argument to point it out to me. I would be sincerely grateful to have my mind changed on this subject. I'll point this out now. Sam Harris is rarely wrong. Every once in a while, he's a little off the mark. But I have a feeling this article title is meant to be a little provocative. And he's going to land right on the money. That, that's just what I'm calling. I see it in the cards. <laughs> you haven't read this before. <laughs> I definitely haven't read it like four times and his response to it. No, I haven't. <laughs> Most readers will undoubtedly feel at this point that torture is evil and that we are wise not to practice it. Even if we can't quite muster a retort to the ticking time bomb case, most of us take refuge in the fact that a paradigmatic case will almost never arise. It seems, however, that this position is impossible to square with our willingness to wage modern war in the first place. And modern warfare... Great game. (laughs) God damn it. In modern warfare, collateral damage, the maiming and killing of innocent non-combatants, is unavoidable. And it will remain unavoidable for the foreseeable future. Collateral damage would be a problem even if our bombs were far smarter than they are now. It would also be a problem even if we resolved to fight only defensive wars. 
There is no escaping the fact that whenever we drop bombs, we drop them with the knowledge that some number of children will be blinded, disemboweled, paralyzed, orphaned, and killed by them. So he's taking the approach of using his theory of collateral damage, which is something that's so out in the open, I think a lot of people often overlook it. How can we not justify torture if we can justify dropping bombs, not knowing yeah, where they land? Exactly. Like, I think of my grandpa, who I never met. He was 16 when he joined the Air Force for World War II. And he was just dropping bombs at random. Like, just, you know, dumping them out of the plane over Germany yeah, and shit. yeah. World War II is a lot easier to have a more clear line of right and wrong compared to modern warfare today. But the fact remains, <clears throat> he has no idea or would have had no idea what responsible, what responsibility he had for the collateral damage. It's hard for me to even imagine you're killing more soldiers than civilians. Like you're... Yeah. Literally just bombing houses, not knowing who's in there. When we think about how evil, how evil it would be to torture people in the deserts, in the jungles, it doesn't compare to the warfare itself. So there is a bit of like, if if I were like a general or a military guy leading the troops, it would be laughable that the public is concerned with our torture protocols, especially not that there aren't examples of our military doing absolutely heinous, disgusting things, but on the overall, compared to 100 years ago, 50 years ago, even 30 years ago, the U.S.'s torture techniques are very nerfed and strictly outlined compared to what you have to imagine torture has been like for all of human history. Yeah, true. Not, not that that takes away from any evils our military's done, but if, if we can flamethrow people, 50 cal, fucking nuke entire countries, if I were a general trying to win a war, like you have to be war-minded, you're total suffer, uh, unsuffering, whatever the fuck... You're going to do anything it takes, and that's your job. The idea of being concerned about, you know, giving people some PTSD and uh, they can't breathe for a little bit is trivial by comparison to all of the intentional and collateral damage that more on most wars, the majority of our country has been behind. Like, imagine yeah. being for the wars in Iraq and being like, oh, torture's bad. Yeah. It's like, exactly. what the fuck is your stance then? Like, what yeah. the fuck are your ethics? What do you believe in? Why the, how can you justify one and not another? So I, I think his initial approach to this is pretty interesting because it's something that we all see and kind of tend to overlook, myself included. Fair. So he points out all the children <laughs> disemboweled from our bombs. And then he goes on to say, the only way to rule out collateral damage would be to refuse to fight wars under any circumstance. As a foreign policy, this would leave us with something like the absolute pacifism of Gandhi, 
while pacifism in this form can constitute a direct confrontation with injustice and requires considerable bravery, it is only applicable to a limited range of human conflicts. Where it is not applicable, it seems flagrantly immoral. We would do well to reflect on Gandhi's remedy for the Holocaust. God, dude, this is so unhinged. Have you heard this one before? No. So this is what Gandhi said about the Holocaust. He believed that the Jews should have committed mass suicide because this, quote, would have aroused the world and the people of Germany to Hitler's violence. Mm. It's wild. That's a wild take. Part of me loves... Part of me loves the idea that a persecuted people... When the because the U.S. included, we turned back entire ships full of free Jews from the camps. I believe for years it was like six months to a year mm-hmm. before it was public and in the newspaper. We turned away concentration camp victims. We knew what was going on. Maybe not the public at large, but as a country, we had decided not to help. Just like all the other countries around, too, or a lot, you know, not not everybody. But the idea of being persecuted to the point where you're like, fuck it, we should just all kill ourselves because we're true pacifists and don't want to use violence as as leverage to our freedom, that we're just going to be pure idealists and kill ourselves to point out, look how evil they are by killing ourselves. I in a like idealistic world or whatever like in idea land, I think it's pretty interesting, Gandhi. I I kind of yeah. kind of like it because I'm a weird you know sicko. blue skies phase. You know we're, we're just <laughs> shooting you know throwing spaghetti on the wall. See what see what six you know. But but imagine being that being the actual advice you tell the Jews or any yeah, persecuted group. Imagine telling the black slaves in America that. You should kill yourselves, or you should like yeah, serve happily. Up. Like you, you can't. That's not a solution to hurt yeah. because someone else is hurting you. You hurt yourself more to prove a point. It, there's a lot of other weird shit Gandhi did, but um, we've talked about that before. But yeah, I hadn't <laughs> basically just saying remove all hope. <laughs> yeah, I I just hadn't heard him make that specific point about the Holocaust before. So that I thought that was pretty wild. But he wanted to point out uh, Hitler's violence to Germany and the rest of the world. We might wonder what a world full of pacifists would have done once it had grown aroused. Commit suicide as well? There seems no question that if all the good people in the world adopted Gandhi's ethics, the thugs would inherit the earth. True. Mm-hmm. Dumbass Gandhi, stupid fuck. <laughs> Gandhi not knowing shit about shit. Stupid pacifist, can't do shit. Oh, stop hurting me, I'm gonna kill myself. <laughs> little, little emo pacifist, just like, oh, you, you killed all my family, I'm gonna go kill myself. What the fuck, Gandhi? It's pretty skeptical, Gandhi. I don't, I don't think I trust Gandhi's judgment anymore. It's not the sleeping with the children or anything. Yeah. Weird, <laughs> racist, <laughs> idealist. I'm pretty. Ah, God, I don't want to slander. I don't want to slander dead ass Gandhi, but pretty sure he was explicitly racist towards black people and a, a few other groups as well. He he was did a lot of great things, but mm-hmm. uh, 
people are people and he said a lot of quotable things yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) dumbass gandhi (laughs) this uh paper from 2006 is aged pretty well (laughs) so we can now ask if we are willing to act in a way that guarantees the misery and death of some considerable number of innocent children why spare the rod with known terrorists I find it genuinely bizarre that while the torture of Osama bin Laden himself could be expected to provoke convulsions of conscience among our leaders, the perfectly foreseeable, and therefore accepted, slaughter of children does not. What is the difference between pursuing a course of action where we run the risk of inadvertently subjecting some innocent men to torture, and pursuing one in which we will inadvertently kill far greater numbers of innocent men, women, and children? Rather, it seems obvious that the misapplication of torture should be far less troubling to us than collateral damage. There are, after all, no infants interned at Guantanamo Bay. Torture need not even impose a significant risk of death or permanent injury on its victims, while the collaterally damaged are, almost by definition, crippled or killed. The ethical divide that seems to be opening up here suggests that those who are willing to drop bombs might want to abduct the nearest and dearest of suspected terrorists, their wives, mothers, and daughters, and torture them as well, assuming anything profitable to our side might come of it. Admittedly, this would be a ghastly result to have reached by logical argument, and we will want to find some way of escaping it. But there seems no question that accidentally torturing an innocent man is better than accidentally blowing up him and his children to bits. Bits. So, his point being, whether you initially think so or not, if you're pro-war under any circumstance, at at the very least for that war, you are pro-torture. Yeah. You can't be, you can't engage in a fight where there is an expectation of intentional damage and collateral damage and not accept that what you're doing is equal, if not much, much, much worse than torture itself. And to deny torture at that point would be a massive contradiction. In this context, we should note that many variables influence our feelings about the act of physical violence. The philosopher Jonathan Glover points out that, quote, in modern war, what is most shocking is a poor guide to what is most harmful. To learn that one's grandfather flew a bombing mission over Dresden in the Second World War is one thing. <laughs> Goddamn, me and Sam Harris, that's my buddy, man. We go way back. We have the same grandpa. <laughs> the same grandpa. He's your brother. <laughs> we don't talk as much these days because I'm pretty busy, but yeah, we'll have to give him a call on the pod one of these days. <laughs> Every time you talk about your buddy Sam. <laughs> yeah, we're really talking about Sam Harris. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get the two Sams in the same room at the same time or the whole universe will fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> go crazy. I mean, to be fair, I've never seen both Sams in the same room at the same True. time. True. We know. So he's wearing a Mission Impossible. He's living a double life. He's a secret <laughs> agent. <laughs> to hear that he killed, talking about our, our grandpa that killed Nazis, dropping bombs, to hear that he killed five little girls and their mother with a shovel is another. That is, that is that, true. That's different. It feels <laughs> just ooh, a little. It feels different. <laughs> we can be sure that he would have killed many more women and girls by dropping bombs from pristine heights, and they are likely to have died equally horrible deaths. But his culpability would not appear the same. 
There is much to be said about this disparity here, but the relevance to the ethics of torture should be obvious. If you think that the equivalence between torture and collateral damage does not hold, because torture is up close and personal, while stray bombs aren't, you stand convicted of a failure of imagination on at least two counts. First, a moment's reflection on the horrors that must have been visited upon innocent Afghanis and Iraqis by our bombs. They will reveal that they are on par with those of any dungeon. If our intuition about the wrongness of torture is born of an aversion on how people generally behave while being tortured, we should note that this particular infelicity could be circumvented pharmacologically because paralytic drugs make it unnecessary for screaming ever to be heard or writhing seen. We could easily devise methods of torture that would render a torturer as blind to the plight of his victims as the bomber pilot is to 30,000 feet. Consequently, our natural aversion to the sights and sounds of the dungeon provide no foothold for those who would argue against the use of torture. Brutal. He's, I love his writing. Yeah. I'll say this real quick. Sam Harris publicly is one of the most chill, compassionate speakers you'll hear. But I, why I think I like him so much, I really identify with his anger. Mm. I, I think he spent his entire lifetime focusing on peace and things like meditation because he truly has a deep, deep anger in him. And he's one of the few people that when I read his writing, I feel that anger and passion. And I just I really respect both anger in people as a general thing, and even more so people who focus it into productive thinking or beautiful things, beautiful writing. Yeah, I just, I just really appreciate that about this. To demonstrate just how abstract the torments of the tortured can be made to seem, we need only imagine an ideal torture pill, a drug that would deliver both the instruments of torture and the instrument of their concealment. The action of the pill would be to produce transitory paralysis and transitory misery of a kind that no human being would willingly submit to a second time. Imagine how we torturers would feel if, after giving this pill to captive terrorists, each lay down for what appeared to be an hour's nap, only to arise and immediately confess everything he knows about the workings of his organization. Might we not be tempted to call it a truth pill in the end? No, there is no ethical difference to be found in how the suffering of the tortured or the collaterally damaged appears. What exactly does he mean by this? So he's saying, like, if we could just give... Uh, somebody a pill instead yeah. of like ripping their fingernails out and hooking them up to shock torture or whatever or you know little whatever tickle machines little, yeah, little tickle a little machines a that. line of cats tickling their toes yeah <laughs> oh no don't do that don't do it <laughs> um if we could just give them a pill instead and then they lay down for like an hour and then they get get up and they're like experience something so terrible that they are willing to give up everything to not have to go through that again. But then they're not, you know, they're mentally scarred, but they're, you know, not missing limbs or anything like that. Or, and they didn't, I got, you know, I, yeah. I just, 
understood. They're saying that this is just, it's a truth pill because it doesn't seem to have had an effect. And I think building upon that, he's getting at the idea that the effect that we have torturing someone in person or at 30,000 feet is irrelevant. The experience of watching, experiencing the horror of the person you're you're torturing, hearing the screams, all all that visceralness, it doesn't matter. It, it it doesn't matter if we heard it or not, if we had to feel it or not. Mm-hmm. All that matters is that it happened to that person. Yeah. Regardless of what shape it takes, whether they take the the pill that is the perfect torture with no screaming or or their bodies barely hanging together by their last tendon like it is irrelevant it's about the actual harm done the difference between uh the warfare itself and the collateral damage is indistinguishable when the the person the peoples are still killed they're still harmed or whatever yeah Mm, interesting Opponents of torture will be quick to argue that confessions elicited by torture are notoriously unreliable. Given the foregoing, however, this objection seems to lack its usual force. This is something I know I've said or we've said, and in our research, I believe that to be true. Yeah. Not not so much that it's always unreliable, but that the fact that often people will say, whatever they need to, to end their torment, that it makes even the large portion of time that they may tell the truth, it makes it hard to trust. Exactly. That's been my understanding. But he is saying, Sam is saying, that this objection really doesn't hold that much force. Make these confessions as unreliable as you like. The chance that our interest will be advanced in any instance of torture need only equal the chance of such occasioned by the dropping of a single bomb. Uh, that's interesting. So he, his point is, okay, it can be our torture is a f- not effective most of the time, but as long as the occasions it was effective outweigh the damage of one single bomb, wouldn't that yeah, true. Be good math. That, that's what he's questioning. Where the defense of saying torture is not as effective as we like. Well, it's effective enough to change damage outcomes. So that's effective enough for the torture. What was the chance that the dropping of bomb number 117 on Kandahar would affect the demise of Al Qaeda? It had to be pretty slim. Enter Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, our most valuable capture in our war on terror. Here is a character who actually seems to have stepped out of the philosopher's thought experiment. U.S. officials now believe that his was the hand that decapitated the Wall Street Journal reporter Daniel Pearl. Wow, that's... I remember those videos. Yeah. Whether or not this is true, his membership in Al-Qaeda more or less rules out his innocence in any important sense, and his rank in the organization suggests that his knowledge of planned atrocities must be extensive. 
the bomb had been ticking ever since September 11, 2001. Given the damage we were willing to cause to the bodies and minds of innocent children in Afghanistan and Iraq, our disavowal of torture in the case of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed seems perverse. If there is even one chance in a million that he will tell us something under torture that would lead to the farther dismantling of Al-Qaeda, it seems that we should use every means at our disposal to get him talking. In fact, the New York Times has reported that Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was tortured in a procedure known as waterboarding, despite our official disavowal of the practice. And this is where I believe I depart with Sam Harris. A one in a million shot. I'm calling I'm calling his bluff. Mm-hmm. He's saying a one in a million shot to dismantle Al-Qaeda or do them damage, ideally to prevent the loss of life because they are indeed an evil Muslim extremist group, mm-hmm. very similar to Hamas, since that's uh, trending right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think a one in a million shot is enough to justify the torture. Even though I don't give a fuck if this man lives or dies. I don't give mm-hmm. a fuck if he's harmed. I, I surely don't care if the damage done to him is temporary or permanent. Right. I really don't care about his worth as a human being. I don't approach the sanctity of life or the the evils of torture the same way I I feel maybe many do, especially the religious, but it's more, it's more the precedent. I don't, I don't want our country to do that. I don't want, I, I just don't want that because it's something, it's something I can't, be proud of yeah if the soldier does it the individual does it i could still say it's wrong but that doesn't bother me it bothers me when it's done in the name it's it bothers me when it's done in my name by someone else's choice yes because our military our government has decided to do these things systematically as a policy and when they do that they're doing that in my name your name, and in the name of all American people. And I don't consent to that. But that doesn't matter. They, they've chosen to do these things. It's branded upon us. It's similar to being part of a church. And the, the priest at the archdiocese cross town is molesting kids. And you're like, hey, I'm a part of this group, but I didn't sign up for that. I wasn't part of that that smaller tier of people. I didn't approve of him doing that. I didn't even know it happened. But the reality is it's still done in your name. Yeah. Yeah. And a one in a million shot, you know, he's being hyperbolic, but I'm calling his bluff. I don't think that precedent putting that on me is worth a one in a million shot to do damage to to Al-Qaeda, especially... When I believe the damage in torturing terrorists, members of Al-Qaeda, 
is just as likely to help recruit and grow them just as much. So it seems like even if you did win that one in a million roll of the dice, I feel like realistically over the long term, you're harming the country, all of American people, and whatever harm you're doing to the group that you decided to torture is going to help them just as much in the long run. Mm -hmm. Which way should the balance swing? Assuming that we want to maintain a coherent ethical position on these matters, this appears to be a circumstance of forced choice. If you are willing to drop bombs, or even risk that rifle rounds may go astray, we should be willing to torture a certain class of criminal suspects and military prisoners. If we are unwilling to torture, we should be unwilling to wage war. Amen. I I so strongly agree with that. Anytime I'm reading Sam Harris, I feel so self-righteous. Oh, it makes me feel good. <laughs> so, so this article got a lot of pushback. And I think mm-hmm. for good, not good reason, but good intentions, I think something we're seeing right now with uh, a lot of Democrats supporting Hamas, that uh, a lot of bad logic can go into it, but with yeah. good intentions. Mm-hmm. And I just think even though if this article was addressed to individual people and not governments, I could get behind pretty much any of it. But he got a lot of criticism from people like Sam Cedar. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Very, he's a he's a good political voice. I disagree with a lot of things he says, but he's really good uh, Democrat uh, socialist debater type guy. Does a news show called The Majority Report. Um, but his critique was that even if Sam was right, the timing of this article made it so. Ab- abhorrent so inappropriate yeah i don't i can i can i can can see that being like um pouring alcohol on an open wound yeah because it was right after i mean shortly after the i believe the news break of abu Ghraib and the u.s torture programs kind of becoming mainstream in the news this was Mm -hmm. during that period of time where it's first becoming public information to the american people and even though our government and military had been having these conversations, trolling up exact protocols of the very stress positions, the amount of time for each technique, the the play, the track titles of the music and all that shit. The American people weren't really talking about torture. And during this point in time, this is when Sam puts out this article. So people like Sam Cedar, different Sam, criticized him heavily for that. A lot of people were very outraged, especially with Sam Harris's history and his past work and philosophy being so uh, humanitarian. So this mm-hmm. was very yeah. counterintuitive to a lot of people and very disappointing. Um, my retort to that would be that during this time where the American people are talking about it, is the most valid time to be having these discussions. Yeah, that's true. Or disagree with them. If anything, I don't really think this paper is a defense of torture as it is a condemnation of war. Yes, that's also the way I see it. And I it seems I mean this this really was like a, a 
big deal when it came out. And I, I just, it seems so goofy because he's saying like, yeah, torture can be good sometimes, not most of the time, but it is sometimes, but uh, only because collateral damage we do more kills way more people. So if you don't like torture, you can't go to war or ever defend yourself. You're going to have to die by suicide as Gandhi told the Jews to. That's yeah. basically this article. Yeah. And, and I strongly agree with that sentiment that you can't condemn torture unless you're also willing to condemn war. Yeah. Which is, yeah. which he points out is pretty tricky sometimes. Uh, whether engaging in war of any kind isn't as simple as it is to make a joke about. Um, that's something I've, I've been thinking a lot about since really the last two years since we covered them. I, I kind of got embarrassed about some of, not embarrassed, but self-conscious of a lot of the jokes I made. Because you always get that, or at least I do, when you, when I make fun of a tragedy. Because it really, if you had someone die in an attack on America, right? Mm-hmm. That would be so fucked. And not right. not because it's an attack on America, but just because you lost someone close to you. Exactly. That's that's the bigger thing. That that feels like the bigger tragedy rather than yeah. And it, yeah. it's there's been a lot of. It used to be more of an extreme position, right? When we were in high school, or even up to the last ten years or so, I definitely was one of those people that would say, "Fuck America, we deserve it," and I still proudly say fuck america i don't care about being american or where the fuck anyone is from i just don't give a fuck i think it's stupid Mm -hmm. but the sentiment of america deserving harm as fun as i still feel the jokes are it is very complicated i get a little self-conscious of some of those thoughts sometimes because it's not as simple as a lot of people make make it out to be. Do you feel more like it's uh, America as the organization deserves it? The people, people don't. that are represented by absolutely, yeah, don't don't deserve it. I think in general, I mean, I'll I'll be completely outright. I I feel like as a country, we have a lot more bad karma that we deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah. I don't want individuals or families to have to pay for that. I don't want us to have to bear that collateral damage. But it's kind of hard not to feel that way at times when we deal out so much collateral damage to others. And our torture program has long been one of the keystone examples of the the evils of America. And a lot of people, including myself to some degree, felt that Sam... Harris was kind of um not not whitewashing it but he's harsh in the mellow <laughs> making it less less you know pointing out that it's not cool to torture I, I think I was going with more they think he is kind of protecting or or defending oh, things yeah, true. we've yeah, done yeah, yeah. and yeah, I, I just can't get with them all the way there. And I've re- he's wrote updates on this. Um, 
On his website, he has a whole section of recent updates to past controversial topics that anyone's interested. All these articles of his hard standpoints, podcast of all these things too, but he updates his takes going back and his update was good. Um, I'm not, I don't want to go into it just because we got what we want to think about already. But if you're more interested in how his take has developed over the years, it's very nuanced, very good. Um, but at this point in time, I I just can't get with him all the way on it. Uh, but I appreciate the provocate, provocativity, provocateur, or the passion in him to challenge people's conception of what torture really is i think he did that very well it's very fair um before we wrap up i did want to mention since we're talking about violence and religious extremism and that that's currently unfortunately a big thing in our world Mm -hmm. right now have you seen the hijab bans in france yes France, in their public school system, has banned hijabs for young women. Um, I think it's uh, like something similar to K through eight. If you go to the French public schools anywhere in the country, no longer allowed to wear a hijab to school. The the thing that I guess I I don't have the research on it, but it it makes me think like, well. Why stop there? Is it, you know, like, what about crosses? What about, true? you know, any other kind of religious it's because they, iconography? They have such... It, the, when I say that there's an element of it that is objective reality, and there's an element of it that may very well be uh, racist, xenophobic, whatever, or like just prejudiced against Muslim people. But from their point of view, and in much of Europe, there is a quote-unquote problem with integrating Muslim youth, where they feel like the melting pot American idea isn't so much working, and that a lot of young Muslim boys and girls, but because the girls wear hijabs, aren't fitting in and it leaves them alienated, isolated, and not so much becoming a French Muslim, but rather just remaining a Muslim in France. So this may be the same thing we spoke earlier. It could be something that I feel is bad logic with good intentions. The point is Mm -hmm. to help people integrate and maybe shed some religious extremism and become more together slash Frenchier. Yeah. (laughs) But I I don't think it's good. I don't like it. But I I understand I understand where the idea came from, but I don't think it's good. Yeah, same. It's when it, when it gets into the the thing of forcing people to do a thing, it it's you know or not do. It's thing. really yeah, exactly. What 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 to do slash what not to do. That's still included of a a thing of like it's not a harm to somebody else. It's not you know it, as much as I would be. I think ideologically the idea of a religion telling you that you have to wear something sucks on its own. But then for a public school system to come in and say that like, Hey, 
you can't wear this because we are trying to help you. And you have to go to our schools where we're not allowing you to live up to your religious ideals, too. Yeah. Like, it's... I... Man, I... To me, this ties in more, not just because the torture in the Middle East stuff or the stuff with Israel and Palestine, but it, it, it all ties in to, for me, with this idea of proactive policing, right? Where mm-hmm. we torture people to get information about a potential attack. We force children not to wear clothing they want to wear because we m- think it might have a bad effect down the line. Whether those things are true or untrue, I don't think justifies what I feel like is oppressive behavior. And I really don't think anyone should be able to tell people what to wear outside of like specific practical like job things where you're choosing to have that job. I don't like the idea of people forcing that upon you. And as much as I really do despise the jobs and I really don't like the religion of Islam. People should be allowed to wear whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. And if the goal is to get people not to wear them because of what that that piece of cloth ideologically represents, I think it would be better long term if this was done by choice and not force. Yeah. Hearts and minds. It feels like governments on a large scale, whether it's the U.S. with torture or France with with this, they don't understand the idea of hearts and minds or how martyrs are made. Like this, I don't know. It's like they just think so low of what we're capable of or or how we interpret it, their yeah. actions. I. I feel like, especially in this case where it's, you know, young school age children, there's definitely a lot to be said about the, like, what did you wear in grade school? I had to wear a uniform. You had to wear a uniform. Yeah, I hated it. Well, say like in, in my case, I mean, even when you were outside of school, it was usually like your parents buy your clothes. Yeah, then I had to wear what my parents bought me. When yeah. They didn't let me wear a lot of things. <laughs> I mean, but even then, like. There was there was a time in your life, I'm sure, where you emulate what your parents wore and how they, you know, how they acted, how they did, because that's what you do as a growing person is seeing the, you know, the people who take care of you and whatever that you have the role models you look to. That well, tell you that. So like when yeah. a kid goes to school wearing a, a hijab thinking like that, this is. You know, that's just what my mom wears. And I right. think it's cool. I want to be like, you know, I want to wear. I want to be like know, my clothes. family, not these yeah. other people at school. Yeah. Exactly. So like that, that raises a difference of like, there. it's not like, you know, the kid in first grade isn't doing, isn't wearing that because of their strong, extreme religious beliefs. Right. You know. <laughs> and granted, there could be benefits like there really could be that these kids aren't alienated by the other students and maybe they assimilate which has a connotation better yeah exactly but as soon as you do that to a kid you're 
immediately choosing to be their enemy. Like you said, their people, their family, what's imprinted on them by the people that that raise them and care for, that love them, matters so much more than a a nationwide school system or other students or parents or families that don't love them. So as soon as you choose to take something that they are told is important, whether they know why or believe that it is, you're becoming the enemy. And it, it just feels, there's, you know, the whole thing of like attraction rather than promotion. Like, it, it seems like as shitty as it is when you can get something immediately by force or coercion or power, it it's never going to be as strong than it if you got it by loyalty or trust. Yeah. The, the quick fix is not always the long-term fix. It is generally not the long-term fix. Yeah. I don't know. Just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, last thing regarding our own war, our own uh, Sam Harris torture protocols, we started the war. We had our, our tactics episode planning we had our official declaration of war with the Hard Men podcast attacking mm-hmm. biblical masculinity. Covered their their uh, thesis episode and first episode. I think it's time we move on. It's been I agree. It's been a couple weeks now. They got new episodes, but episode two, the fir- the the second uh, full the second episode. installment. Oh my god, dude! That expansion pack is hilarious. <laughs> I've been listening to so much Christian stuff lately. Oh my god, they're just so funny—the little jokers, <laughs> little goofballs, talking about pastors uh, murdering people. And oh yeah, episode two—he really dives into what makes a man hard, and he definitely talks about their dicks a lot. And he likes to call Justin Bieber gay. Th- those are my big takeaways. Uh, I'd really like to big, get in big talking points. Yeah, big stuff. Um, Eric Kahn of the Hard Men's podcast. But I, I think we need to uh, do our next war episode soon. We got some other cool art stuff. Um, yeah, I feel like we're, we've been a little scattershot lately. And in our conversations, I think more and more, we're just kind of doing whatever the fuck we want to. I think kind of flowing in and out or just doing whatever feels good is good. And that's what we're going to do. But we got some fun ideas coming up. And I hope you guys stick around. I hope you have a great, lovely, tortureless night. I hope you're not tortured in your sleep. Yeah, I hope you're not tortured when you get to work. (laughs) Or I hope if you do get waterboarded, it's really gently with some nice warm water. Some nice LaCroix. Get some flavored water in there. (laughs) (laughs) Some lemon juice in your your waterboarding water. (laughs) You got any final thoughts? Any wisdom you you want to dish out before we get out of here? Um, if you're ever gonna water uh, waterboard me, um, apple cider is a good one. <laughs> it's, it's that it's that season. <laughs> I think that does it. Hell yeah! Thanks again for listening, everybody. Thank you to Approaching Human for the use of his music. You can find his work on SoundCloud at Approaching Human. Finally came over that motherfucker. I had to keep reminding him check his calendar. But we started the album cover, dude, and it. I, it's going to look so good. I, I spent forever doing, uh, getting a digital hard copy and then doing the graphite transfer, working with some gold ink on black paper. It's going to fucking look good, dude. I'm oh, hell yeah. so psyched for this album. So keep it up, John. 
we need to have another conversation. We need to get some guests back on. We need to get Will, Sam, John, Chaotic, Keith. We need yeah, to get, get Chaotic back on. Oh, yeah. His album, I need to check in with him because his album should be his next project. I'm not sure if it's his next full album or he was doing another project as well. But he's got something coming out soon. We need to check in with him, see when that is too. Hell yeah. Uh, make sure to check out the show page at Trash Cats Trash Cast on Instagram for news and art from the show. Check out Facebook for the memes. For the memes, if you're super you can check out my trash yard on Instagram at SkyZX. It's KYZSX. It's slow, but I I really have been working on art every day. I'm just uh, struggling with things, but there's always going to be more, and I'm working on getting some new stuff up and. Uh, Really do appreciate you guys. Thank you. Hell yeah. That's going to be all for us today. Stay classy, eat trashy. Go fast, eat trashy.